Good morning again. Wonderful to be here with you on a beautiful day. Uh, I wish the heat wasn't on, but that's just me. So our passage this morning is the fall of man. Why are we looking at the fall of man today? Well, we're in our second week in our series on mental health. In fact, today, May 1st, starts Mental Health Awareness Month. Uh, since 1949, Mental Health Awareness Month has existed in order to educate people on mental health and to try to remove the stigma of mental health. Now, last week, we began to consider mental health from a biblical perspective. And we talked about how we were created. We saw that we were created in the image of God and that there are five aspects of our being that are all interrelated so as to affect each other, including our mental health affecting our spiritual health, as we saw last week. And we saw these five aspects that the Bible teaches are that we are spiritual beings, we are mental or intellectual beings, we are relational beings, we are emotional beings, and we are physical beings. And what I said last week was that though we are made of parts, every part is designed by God to work together. And this is why, as we saw, the Bible says we are to love God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and our neighbor as ourselves, because we were created to love God with everything that we are, with all of our parts, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, physically, our heart, mind, soul, and strength. We were to let that love for God play out in love for neighbor, relationally. And as created, we did all of that perfectly. Then, as I said last week, when sin entered the world, we broke. All of this broke. So today, I want to consider that breaking point in history, the moment that our perfect wholeness became corrupted brokenness because of sin. And to do that, we'll look at Genesis 3, starting in verse 1, where we read, Now, the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of a tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now notice a couple things here. Notice the serpent begins by talking about what God knows. Remember last week, we saw God is an intellectual being, which is why, as those created in his image, we are intellectual beings. But he is an omniscient being, right? He has perfect and complete knowledge. He has perfect and complete wisdom. He has a perfect and complete will. And we were created in his image and likeness, so we were perfect in knowledge in what we knew, right? We saw, we only knew truth. And because we were created perfect, mentally, spiritually, and relationally, what God told us, we believed. What God told us, we knew truly with no misunderstandings. And Adam and Eve were told in no uncertain terms that they eat of the fruit of a tree, they would die. And they knew it was true. Or at least they thought they did. Because notice the subtlety of the serpent. He tells Eve, he's like, yeah, you know, you believe you can't eat of a tree and, and you're going to die if you do. But hey, Eve, God knows something you don't. Well, of course he knows something Adam and Eve don't. He's God. He knows an infinite amount of things that Adam and Eve didn't know, and Adam and Eve knew that. 
But look what the serpent's saying to her. Not that, goes, that God knows something other than what they know. Not that God knows something more than what they know. Now he tells them, no, what you know about the fruit and what God knows are two different things. God's holding out on you guys. So he tells Eve, you will not surely die. See, even the serpent knows something Eve doesn't. You won't die if you eat the fruit. God knows something you don't. God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. Notice, Satan wasn't an openly evil oppressor and attacker who didn't show up with his pitchfork and his horns and start yelling at them. No, that's not what Satan does. Satan made himself appear good. He tried to make his way seem right over against God's way. It's almost like he's trying to help Adam and Eve here, isn't it? Well, that's how he attacks us, too. That's how he attacks the world, through that kind of deception. And look at the subtlety of his argument here. The serpent is speaking to the only two creatures in all of creation made in the image and likeness of God. Remember, we saw that last week. They were already like God. But look what he says. Oh, no, do this, and you'll really be like God. Because listen, if God's holding out on them, if he knows something contrary to what he revealed to them, then how like God are they really? In fact, the serpent implies God does, doesn't want them to be like him. And the serpent says, you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And there is the outright lie in what the serpent says. Because God does not know evil in the way that Adam and Eve were about to know evil. They're going to know it. They're going to experience it. It's going to become part of who they are. And the word here for evil is actually the word for defect in the Old Testament. It's used to describe something of bad quality, like how animals without defect had to be offered, had to be sacrificed. But unlike God, now Adam and Eve were about to know both good the perfection of their original creation, and bad, the defectiveness they were about to introduce into creation. They knew good, a right and perfect understanding of truth, and now bad, a false understanding of God and his truth. But here's the thing. The first sin was not the eating of the fruit. In verse 6 we read, So when the woman saw that the tree was good for fruit, and that it was a delight to the eyes, that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. Now, don't let this verse sneak by you when you read through Genesis. Don't let it sneak by without realizing Adam was right there. Adam and Eve were there together. The conversation happens between Eve and the serpent, but Adam is standing right there. He's with her. He's watching. And without getting into too much how the giving of the creation mandate dictates distinct roles for men and women, understand, Adam sinned first. Adam was responsible for what happened in the garden. He was the appointed representative of the whole human race, of all those created in the image of God. This is why the Bible everywhere places responsibility for the fall on Adam. We see it in the Old Testament where Isaiah says, your first father sinned, to call it Israel for their sin. We see it in the New Testament where Paul in Romans 5 says, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned, for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was the type of the one who was to come. And please notice, sin came into the world through Adam, and death came into the world through sin, and death spread to all. Why? What, is, what does Paul say? Because all have sinned. We all sinned as a race in the garden. We sinned and we became something totally different from what we were. So we don't physically die because we sin. We are not in our natural state headed for spiritual death because we sin. 
We don't suffer the effects of the fall, pain and sorrow and brokenness because we sin. It doesn't happen because of what we do. It's because of who we are. Once sin entered the world, we as a race and the whole world broke. We became sinners. You see, we aren't sinners because we sin. We sin because we're sinners. It's about who we are. And then this happened. And those who were created in God's image and likeness changed forever. Again, Genesis 3, 6. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Adam failed in his calling, not just the head of Eve, but of all creation. The first sin was a sin of omission. Adam had a responsibility to protect Eve. Adam had a responsibility to protect us all. He had a responsibility to obey God, but instead, he just stood there. And in doing that, he made the choice to be something other than what God created him to be. But then Eve's first sin isn't the eating of the fruit either. Hers was the contemplation of eating the fruit. Stopping to think about, am I going to follow God on this or am I going to follow me? It says she saw the tree was good for food. She reasoned, well, it can't be bad. It's food like all the other fruit. It says the fruit was a delight to the eyes. And the Hebrew means that Eve craved the fruit. It was something that she wanted. The tree, it says, was desired to make one wise. Talking about the will and the wisdom. See, Adam sinned by not doing what he knew he should do. Eve sinned in her reason, in her desire, in her will, in her wisdom. And the minds were affected by sin first. Mental perfection was made black by sin. It's a sin inwardly first. And then they ate. See, the outward physical always follows the inward, right? It's always the way it works. So they ate of the apple, and their bodies were affected by sin. And then we read this in verse 7, that the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. So the third thing that happened after the broken mind and the broken body is that our first parents realized for the first time they're naked. Now, not only is this evidence of the broken mind, but of even further corruption of the perfect image of God. Because at the end of Genesis 2, God prescribes marriage, and then we read this. This is right before, this is the last verse in Genesis 2. He says, and the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. So after their sin of the mind, the inward sin, after the sin of their body, the outward sin, something else was broken. The eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. They knew they were naked now with sin-broken minds. So they try to cover up, cover up their sin. They try to cover themselves up with fig leaves. Why? Because now they were ashamed. Like they were before sin, they felt shame for the first time. It was our first experience with emotional brokenness. But it doesn't stop there. Verse 8 we read, and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Like I said last week, we were created relationally perfect. Adam and Eve were in a perfect relationship. But what's more, and more importantly, they were in perfect relationship with God. And here, after sin reveals itself in mental brokenness and physical brokenness and emotional brokenness, we see in this sad act and it's so, you know how sad this is when you stop and think about it? Created perfect by a loving God. We were created perfect by a loving God, not because he had to, 
but because he loved us before time began and he made us perfect and he gave us everything. He gave us himself. He was with us in the garden. And then because of sin, we're jumping behind trees to avoid God. This has never stopped for fallen man, has it? In our natural state, we try to do everything we can to get away from God. Why? Because sin resulted in relational brokenness with each other and with God. But thank God, when we try to hide, God comes looking. See, God not only pours out his grace on everybody, he not only makes his son, S-U-N, rise on the evil and the good, he not only sends rain on the just and the unjust, he not only shows grace to call everyone back to him, no, he came personally for us. He came personally to seek and to save that which was lost. He came to call us back to him. But what's more, he reached down and took our sin and put it on his own son. Put it, God the Son took it on himself and died on the cross to take it away. That is the grace of God. And that grace, the grace of God seeking sinners, it was from the very moment sin entered the world. Adam and Eve sinned. They felt shame. They knew what they had done. They knew God told them they would die if they sinned, so they ran and they hid themselves. Verse 9, but the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? First thing God did was come seeking them. He called them. That's grace on his part. Even though it's such sin on our part, look at verse 10. And he, Adam, said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. He felt fear because of emotional brokenness. He knew he was naked because of mental brokenness. He hid himself from God because of relational brokenness. Look what God says in verse 11. He says, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of a tree which I command you not to eat? And what was the commandment? We know. What did God say to Adam and Eve about the tree? Let's go back to Genesis 2 again. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of a tree of a knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. So since God found out as if he didn't know, as soon as God knew that Adam and Eve had broken his commandment, I ask you, what would God have been perfectly just to do? Kill him. Judge him right there on the spot. Judge him with death. Is that what God does? Well, physical death now enters the world. Adam and Eve would now die physically at some point. But Adam and Eve made a choice. They made a choice that broke them. Death was inevitable once they were broken by their own choice. But something far worse happens. It's like God declared would happen. Spiritual death enters the world. Spiritual separation from God in this life, and unless one repents and believes in the life to come. See, sin resulted in ultimately spiritual brokenness. The whole person, the creature created in the image and likeness of God, the whole person was affected by sin. Spirit, mind, relationship, emotions, body, all broken. The image of God was completely corrupted by sin, and everyone suffers those effects. The whole world suffers the effects of this brokenness. And the further the world gets from the fall without turning to God, to heal our brokenness, the further away we get from God's design. The more the image of God is distorted in fallen man. I mean, think about it. Adam and Eve decide, okay, 
God was wrong about the fruit. I believe this, this, this snake guy over here. So it wasn't enough to be like God. They wanted to really be like God. In other words, they wanted to be their own God. That was their sin. That's really the root of all sin. But what they did was disobey God and decide they knew what was best, and they ate a forbidden fruit. But you know what? When you read through the Bible, it only gets worse from there. They ate a fruit. One generation later, their one son kills the other son. A few generations after that, we read in Genesis 6, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. There's no way to misinterpret that, is there? So God wipes out all but eight of those created in his image. But the image was distorted. How do we know? Because immediately, Noah's son Han sins against them. A few generations later, at the Tower of Babel, the whole world is judged by God. It didn't get better, it got worse. It's still getting worse. Because the whole person, the creature created in the image and likeness of God, the whole person was and we still are affected by sin. Our spirits, our minds, our relationships, our emotions, and our bodies. They're all broken by sin. Now understand, that does not mean, hear me, I want you to get this clearly, that does not mean that having mental or emotional issues is sin. It is not. Nor that having physical issues are sin. If you want to say it's a sin to have clinical anxiety, then you've got to say it's sin to have arthritis or asthma. These are all effects of sin, effects of the brokenness of every aspect of our being because of sin. They are not sin themselves. But that being said, we need to understand that because of that holistic nature of man, that every part affects every other part, that while things like anxiety or arthritis are not sins, but the effects of sins, realize our personal sin affects every aspect of our being. What do I mean? Well, I have high cholesterol. High cholesterol is not a sin. However, there are those who are not predisposed to high cholesterol, and they get high cholesterol by eating way too much of the wrong thing. In other words, to put it plainly, the sin of gluttony has physical effects. Or sins like drunkenness can have physical effects. Sin affects our bodies, no doubt, right? But sins like gossip have relational effects. Sins like envy can have both relational and emotional effects. Sins like pride definitely have mental effects because I think of myself in a completely wrong way. I think of others in a completely wrong way. I think of God in a completely wrong way. Sins of the body, sexual sins affect all of it. The mental, the emotional, the relational. They all affect each other. And there are emotional and mental issues that can be rooted in physical issues, in biological or chemical issues. Those mental and emotional issues can lead to other emotional issues like eating disorders, which can affect the health of the person. Then because of those physical effects, that person has a low view of themselves sometimes. And the physical turns into other mental effects and leads them into de despair or depression. So the physical effects become emotional. Then it leads them maybe to become a recluse, stop going to church. It pulls them away from God and affects them relationally and spiritually. This is just one example and it's taken from my own family. The point is that each and every aspect affects the others. And because of sin, every aspect is broken. This is what is known as total depravity. If you've ever heard that, it doesn't mean that we're as bad as we can get 
All it means is that in our totality, in every part of who we are, we are affected by sin, the whole person. I mean, notice the effects of sin already in Adam and Eve. After all this happens, God asks, verse 11 again, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? And look at Adam's response. The man said, oh, the woman you gave to be with me, she ate of the fruit of a tree, and then I ate. How sinfully human, isn't it? God, yes, I did what you told me not to do, but it's not my fault. And Adam blames his wife. Bone of his bone, flesh of his flesh. Even if there were other people, that would be the most important person to him in the world. And marriage was given by God as an earthly type of our relationship with Christ. It is a relationship designed to be unbreakable based on an unchangeable love. And here, in the interest of self-preservation, Adam says, nope. And this is why, think about it, even in the most trivial arguments, very often our first inclination is to defend ourselves, even against the person we love most in this world. That's the same broken mental processing and broken emotional response and broken relational abilities that Adam had. And what that brokenness did is led Adam to blame God. Adam's blaming God here. No, God, that woman that you gave me, he's saying this is God's fault. I mean, God, if you didn't want me to eat the fruit, should have given me a woman that didn't want to eat the fruit. And this is why even in the most trivial matters, never mind the big ones, in the most trivial matters, especially when our emotions are involved, our first inclination is to make sure that whatever went wrong can't be blamed on us, right? I, I've seen this in the business world. Every single person, when a problem happens, when something goes wrong, we all go running back to our emails and our meeting notes just so we can say, not my fault, not my fault. After we've all done that, then we'll address the problem, right? This is how we are, we are broken. We think wrongly, we behave wrongly. We don't feel emotionally properly about things, but then we react to our emotions more than our reason. Very quickly in these situations, when something goes wrong, it is every man for himself. Make sure I can't be blamed. And if we're not careful, all of that will evidence itself spiritually. And we'll ask the question, God, why did you let this happen? That's what Adam was doing. And then God addresses Eve. And the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. It's kicking the can down the road here, right? She's really doing the same thing Adam was. She's blaming God, God, the serpent, the serpent you made in the garden you made. He deceived me. It's the first time someone used the devil made me do it defense. It's an attempt to absolve herself of all responsibility. I was made to do it. It's why even when we recognize we've done wrong, you know, those horrible situations where you just, there's no denying it, like, man, I am caught. Oh, we can always figure out a way to blame someone. Well, you know what? Because of that, I had to do this, right? That's broken thinking. It's a false idea of myself, a false idea of other people, a false idea of God. And it often leads us to put on our spiritual brokenness and shine it for the whole world to see and say, God, why did you let this happen? So after Adam and Eve do just that, God pronounces a curse on them. But realize, what, like I said, it doesn't take a supernatural act of God for all these effects of sin to affect man the way it does. It's because of the way we were created 
the brokenness of our whole person because of sin, the unbreakable connection between all these aspects, this results in these things. And God pronounces a curse. Look at what he says to Adam first. And to Adam he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of a tree which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Notice God pronounces, first of all, a curse not on Adam, but on the ground, on the earth. The very world broke because of sin. And here, Adam, whom God placed in the garden to work the ground before sin, well, he'll still have to work the ground outside of the garden, but now it's going to fight against him. He's going to struggle to work the ground and feed his family. He's going to struggle physically to get the earth to yield food. Now in the garden, as he was created, God gave him all the produce of the garden to eat. He gave him the ground to work and it yielded only food. But because of sin, God's curse on the very created world, he says there will be thorns and thistles. Constant reminders of the brokenness of, th of sin. Think about the brokenness of sin next time you're weeding your garden. Think about the brokenness of sin next time you say, why is all this clover on my, my yard? Sin. The world has been cursed. But then God says, well, Adam, you're going to return to the ground too. You'll become dust. Just think of the dust you were created from. This is the physical aspect of death that God warned about. Our bodies were forever affected by sin. I mean, in essence, he's telling them, look, Adam, now because of sin, life is just going to be a struggle, and then it's going to end in death. In modern terms, God said, you know what, Adam? Life stinks, and then you die. All because of sin. But God also cursed Eve. Verse 16, to the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. Remember the creation mandate we spoke about last week when we had a dedication, a little Mateo up here, talking about how God commanded us to be fruitful and multiply. Well, our marching orders haven't changed. But because we're broken, the process is now broken. So now women bring forth children in pain. Sorry, Rocky. Physical brokenness. But there's more of his relational brokenness here. In the perfect creation, look, Eve and Adam, they both understood the distinctive roles of men and women. Eve knew they were both created perfect. They were both created equal in dignity because both are in the image and likeness of God. But she knew they were different. And here we see the effects of sin because God says your desires are now going to be affected. Whether you translate this, if your Bible says your desire shall be contrary to your husband, or it says your desire shall be toward your husband, the result is the same. Look, men and women were created perfect and equal, but different, with different roles assigned by God. But because of sin and the relational brokenness of sin and the mental brokenness of sin and the emotional brokenness of sin, that all broke. God gave responsibilities to men and women and now men, well, it's corrupted. We want to use it now as a broken attempt to rule over women. And the perfect knowledge of God's design, now corrupted, women now want, desire, the responsibilities of the man. The battle of the sexes began right there in the garden. And this is part of our relational brokenness. It's mental brokenness. Physical brokenness leading to death. Emotional brokenness. Relational brokenness. Spiritual brokenness. 
From that moment on, we couldn't know God rightly anymore. We couldn't understand him anymore. We couldn't do right by each other anymore. That concept of self-preservation now ruled. We couldn't process our emotions properly because sin affects both the mind and the emotions. So there was blame. There was shame. There was objective guilt for what they did. We couldn't love God perfectly anymore. We couldn't love each other anymore. So what could be done? Verse 14, the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, curse to you above all livestock and above all beasts of the fields. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, you shall bruise his heel. Now here's the grace of God that we just talked about. Genesis 3.15 is what is known as the proto-euangelion. That's just Greek for the first gospel. God preaches the gospel here. Immediately after sin entered the world, immediately after Adam and Eve's pathetic attempts to absolve themselves of responsibility for sin, immediately after they told God, no, God, it's your fault, God tells them, well, now because of what you did, there will be enmity between you and the powers of darkness. We are at enmity with Satan. We let Satan get a foothold, and he's never let go. So our struggle continues to be not against flesh and blood, but against the powers of darkness. And that is why humans since then have been tempted to sin over and over and over again. But God doesn't stop there. He graciously gives a promise. There would come one, the seed of the woman, a human, a man, that would triumph over the serpent. He would triumph over Satan. He would undo what our sin did. This is the promise of Christ. That's exactly what Christ did. He came and he succeeded where Adam and we failed. That is why when he starts his ministry, this is what the wilderness temptations are. Satan tried to do to the second Adam exactly what he tried to do to the first Adam. When tempted to eat, Jesus resisted. When tempted to choose Satan's way over God's way, Jesus resisted. When tempted to test God to find out if what he said was absolutely true, Jesus resisted. He passed the test. He was uncorrupted by sin, and yet he took on our sin. And he let us kill him. Willingly laid down his life, and he suffered the curse for sin in our place. And that is the greatest act of grace ever known. It deserves our full attention as God's people every second of our lives. But I don't want to lose sight of the fact that where Adam and Eve failed and where Jesus succeeded was a matter of knowing the word of God. Here's a question for us this morning. As we consider Adam and Eve and our failure in the garden, we consider the death, both spiritual and physical, that was the result of sin. As we consider the mental and the emotional and the relational brokenness, that comes along with that, that we all have to deal with. And as we consider that God promised and fulfilled the victory of Christ over Satan, over sin, and over death to guarantee that we will be saved as whole people, ask yourself this. Do I want to follow Jesus or do I want to follow Adam and Eve? Now, we should know the answer, right? I all know what our answer is. 
But here's the real question. Do you know God's word in order to believe it? Because the answer to that question will answer the first. Here's a quote I just happened to read this week from G.K. Beale. He says, the heart of the matter is this. Do Christians know God's word? Do they believe it? And do they do it? If not, then the lies of the evil one will slip into our lives and churches ever so subtly. When this happens and the process goes unchecked and uncorrected, then the deceptions begin to pour in like an overflowing river. And he goes on to say that how susceptible we are to sin or not, how susceptible we are to letting Satan affect us, affect our churches, is about knowing the word of God. See, sin affects the whole, per the whole person, every aspect of who we are. So that means we need to focus our minds on Christ. It means we need to use our bodies to glorify him. We need to love and trust him above all. We need to be reconciled to him through the way that he graciously made. We need to let the Holy Spirit lead us. So we need to know, believe, and do what God said and nobody else. And I tell you this morning, this all starts with knowing what God has said. Otherwise, we are just as susceptible to Satan when he asks, he asks us, did God actually say? And look at what not knowing did the first time. We need to be ready. We need to know. Our only defense against temptation to sin, sin that affects our whole person, sin that affects the people around us, is to know God's word, to believe it, and to do it. Let's pray that God would make this a reality. Let's bow our hearts. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for sending your son to undo what sin did, to turn our brokenness back to wholeness again. And God, we know that someday when your son comes again, we will be made whole. But until then, Lord, my prayer is that we would desire to know what you have said. So when those temptations to sin come, we will know. We will know how to overcome it. So God, give us faith. Faith to believe that what you say is true. Give us faith, Lord, to do what your word commands us to do, what it enables us to do, what it graciously, Lord, allows us to be in this life, God. May we want that above all things, Lord. May your word take hold in our heart. May it take hold of our minds, God. May we learn to love you more. May we know you more, God. May we use the whole person that we are, mind, body, and spirit, Lord, to glorify you. That, God, we can see in the here and now your redemption make us whole. That we can see in the here and now that you have given us all that we need in your word. That we can see in the here and now, God, how much you love us. We thank you. We thank you for what you've done, God. As we turn now to remember that, Lord, by sharing communion with each other and with you, God, I pray that you would bless our hearts. Give us pinpoint focus on Jesus Christ, on what he has done, what he will yet do, and what you want to do through us right now, God. We pray this in the mighty name of Jesus.
Amen.